The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. It's the first ever event of its kind. Exclusive access to the most influential business leaders in all of sports. Somebody had to stick their neck out. The NFL is one of the best business models I've ever seen in my life. CNBC and Boardroom teaming up for an invite-only gathering in Santa Monica. Featuring an A-team roster of owners and athletes, investors, and innovators. I think in sports, we have to roll the red carpet out to build almost New rules, new business models, new opportunities. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, and together with Julia Borson and Scott Wapner, we're going to go courtside with the MVPs on the cutting edge of sports, culture, and entertainment. We can really tell the stories that we want to tell with the biggest brand in the world. This is Game Plan. He's one of the most powerful forces in the game today. Kroenke Sports and Entertainment CEO Stan Kroenke's $12 billion empire built atop majority ownerships in the Los Angeles Rams, Denver Nuggets, and Colorado Avalanche. His dominance recently solidified, winning NFL, NHL, and NBA championships in just two years. A kingmaker making history. The well-known sports business voice, Andrew Brandt, said the lesson from your ownership is, quote, put up the money, hire good people, let them do their job, and stay out of the way. Is, is that how you would describe your own ownership style? Kind of, but it's not totally correct. I mean, we're going to listen to the experts and, you know, we'll stay in touch. I mean, we're going we're gonna to try to know what's going on. There's a difference, though, between know what's going on mm. and being a meddler. No, you said right. you're not a meddler. Is it hard not? I don't think anybody would call it. Is it hard not to do that? No, I don't find it hard. I mean, I think culturally, I mean, people have to know they're safe. You know, they have to know they can make decisions. They can that you you'll have their back at the end of the day. So that's what we try to do. You are a bit of a risk taker, though. Would you consider <laughs> yourself that? Most people in the NFL would say I am. You know, because, because you hired of, yeah. your coach of the Rams. Mm -hmm in 2017 when he was only 30. Right. That's a risk. That's one thing they would cite as a risk. Yeah. Why did you know he was the guy? How? Sean just kind of, he had that thing where he, you'd kind of go, there's something special about this guy. But the logical part of it was more like this. So we had Jeff Fisher as our coach for five years. And Jeff loved defense. And he's known as a defensive coach. And then Wade Phillips came out of the Broncos, and so he had, if you looked at his analytics, Wade Phillips had never coached a defense that he had not improved, and our defense was already good. So we knew we were gonna have a great defense. So now you had this other little outlier, which is called Jared Goff pick number one. He was quarterback, rookie, and Sean had been outstanding. Kirk Cousins had developing him in uh, Washington. And so you felt like you had a good defense, you get Jared straightened out, and Sean was the best guy to do that. I'm glad so, you mentioned yeah. uh, Sean and, and his relationship in Washington, which 
just obviously sold mm -hmm. to a new owner, including David Blitzer. $6 billion, the team in Denver sold 11 months ago for 4.6. Do you think that valuations growing like that are sustainable? Don't you have to top out somewhere? I would think so. No, but I mean, <laughs> it's not something I think about a lot. I came from a real estate development background. That's how I kind of got in the place where I thought I could do a pro sports thing. Because the thrill in Manila went up on HBO and the scare, I mean, you, you watch that in a pay-per-view, I mean, you could connect the dots. And I thought I saw a future with that pay-per-view. I want to talk to you about the fan experience. Al Michaels is here, by the way. He, he loves SoFi Stadium. <laughs> Five and a half billion dollars. Right. Is that the number you've had in that's mind? That's why I said, that's why I said there would be some NFL owners that said I was somewhat of a risk taker because Al knows and we talked about the general nature of the NFL. I mean, somebody had to stick their neck out. and Oh, you stuck it out. Fortunately or unfortunately, it had to be me, I guess. But How do you get return on investment from something that ends up costing? Does that really exist? <laughs> we like to no. think it does. No, no, we like to think it does, too. I always looked at sports as sports plus real estate. And so if you look at SoFi is a great example. It's almost 300 acres. I mean, it's... Fantastic. And that's just part of what we're doing is a lifestyle kind of approach to lots of shops and things. Honestly, a story that's not told often enough is the benefit that's sort of rippled out across. And you can have various opinions of gentrification or whatever, but these are good problems to have for a city. And the mayor would be the first guy to tell you. Because when he took over as mayor of Inglewood, I think he had 18% unemployment. We hired 12,000 people for construction and still have a lot of people working out there. But the peak was 12,000 and 4,000 of which were local. I feel like one of the biggest stories of the offseason um, revolved around salaries. Lamar Jackson obviously wanted a Deshaun Watson-like deal with a confirmed uh, guaranteed contract. Um, he didn't get it, obviously. And it, it raises the issue of whether we're ever going to get guaranteed contracts in the NFL. Well, that's a big topic. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it is. I can dodge a few of his questions, right? Um, I've got some follow-ups. <laughs> no, it's that was it's a great question, but you know, it's a very complex question that you ask, and it's not. There's no simple answer to it. And why do running backs don't get paid, and why do quarterbacks get paid? You know, and. You know, that, that's a whole nother question within your question, right? You can answer that one, too, if you want to. No. I, I mean, I'll I mean, I, I just tell you, because they're not valued as highly. I mean, guys that are running these offenses don't value them as highly. So they think they can get somebody out of the draft that maybe can do the job just as well. So there's, there's a lot of complexity still. Sure. I mean, to some people, it, it's, it's as simple as the, the league is the strongest it's, it's ever been. Um, your teams all make a, a good amount of money, and the, the players in the NFL are the ones who put their bodies on the line in a way that they don't in other sports, and that in and of itself should justify the evolution of the salary structure in something like the NFL. And I think the salary structure does evolve. I mean, I, do, I think it absolutely does evolve. Having said that, the players do get their share you know, I would I would tell you from our side, and you know, we build stadiums so that that they I mean, think about the revenue that a place like SoFi produces, which 
the player's share in, and that allows them to make more. Now, how you allocate it between running backs and, you know, quarterbacks and stud line, linemen and linebackers, you know. What keeps you up at night regarding the teams that you own? Oh, I sleep pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Especially when you win four championships in, in the last months, months, I guess you do. <laughs> I guess you do. No. no, I don't know. I mean, what keeps you up? I mean, I have a lot of confidence in my partners and our commissioners. And I really feel very comfortable in, in that environment. Of course, I've been there a long time. When you win one, do you feel the pressure to repeat? No. You don't? Mm -mm. I really don't. I, I mean, some people would say you, you should, but... Oh, you love to win. I mean, you love it. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, it's wonderful, but I don't feel, I don't feel a lot of pressure from it. Coming up at the intersection of sports and entertainment, the chance to score new opportunities. I remember my mom, she used to own a shirt. I said, pay college athletes. How players, the National Women's Soccer League. We want to think about ways to expand our audience. And one of basketball's greatest. I had to acquire this through hard work and obviously dedication to what I do. Are all cashing in. It used to be that athletes would take their talents to the recording studio and musicians would trade their mics for jerseys. Think Shaq or Master P. Well, times have changed. The new end game, entrepreneurship. I wanna start, if you'd indulge me, with Will just for a second. Um, because Will has become the, dare I say, the, the male Anna Wintour of our time. And so I'm hoping you could take us back to the beginning of when you think this moment that has now come to, come to the fore really began. What we noticed is just an increase in I mean, our love of sports, but then also athletes' love of fashion. There's been a lot of synergy, and it's just been fun for us to cover it and celebrate it and also help connect the fashion world with right. the sports world. Jalen, you, you, you just did a fashion show yourself. You were a model in a show for Bape. You're wearing, I mean, let's just see the sneakers, everybody, because he's got, right, he's got the Adidas with the Gucci together, and you've got uh, Lon Van on, though you're a, you're a Jordan man. So we got to talk about, they're going to tell you to get different sneakers on probably, but um, just speak to the, the fashion piece of it. When did you realize it was going to become a business for you beyond uh, what you were going to do on the court? Like you just said, the opportunity came to me to be able to walk in the Babe Show. So that was just opening doors. And then Fashion Week, um, things like that just open more doors and different opportunities. Um, Paolo, you had the highest NIL uh, name, image, and likeness valuation in all of college sports. Speak to just when that all happened for you, when you realized to sort of take this into a whole other place. I remember my mom, she used to own a shirt that, you know, said pay college athletes when I was like young. So coming up um, my junior year, uh, my dad, he had told me that they were thinking about changing the rule to where you could get paid for your name, image, uh, and likeness. And then once the time came, he was locked in, he was on it. Real quick, Larry Jackson is here. I said we were going to call Larry Jackson. We don't have to. Uh, Larry Jackson, if you could come out and join us. Uh, there he is. Come on out. 
Larry Jackson, by the way, is, is somebody who's been at the intersection of culture and sport and music uh, in a unique way, a protege of Clive Davis. He's now started a new company, Gamma. Hey, everybody. Um, What's up? Larry, thank you for coming. Um, yeah, help help us with this, because we yes, were sir. in the middle of a discussion really about how sport and how these guys who have really become investors, entrepreneurs, yeah. Just to see, you know, speaking of these gentlemen, just to see how LeBron plugged into that and then what that then catalyzed for this generation from a business perspective is wild, you know? And, and you know, I think we're kind of living in, still in the wake of that. But I'm just excited to see where this new generation goes now, you know? Well, who do you think, as you've looked at, at different athletes over time that have transformed themselves beyond the court, who do you look to, I mean, Obviously, Michael Jordan is, 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 in his own, is in his own league, but who do you look to over the last decade and say they figured something out? Well, you mentioned Jordan, and I remember watching The Last Dance and noticing just the difference in the media environment, where players were really, I would say, almost like kept in a box by the media. So player expression, players being themselves, playing, players having interest outside of just like, yeah, all I think about care about eat, sleep, and drink is basketball, which is inhuman and not true for anyone, right? For me, that really juxtaposed with the environment now. And I know the media environment can still be tough, but in that regard, I think it's really, it's right. really positive. Paolo, your mother uh, was in the WNBA. Yeah. And we were talking a lot about uh, w women's basketball, women's sport. What did she teach you about all of this? She's taught me a lot. Um, you know, she told me the things that she felt she did wrong um, when she was playing, and she just never let me, you know, have those same mistakes. You know, she was my, my biggest critic, right. still is my biggest critic. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I get done with a game, and, you know, I might even play good, and I still have a, a paragraph-long text <laughs> in my phone <laughs> from my mom, you know, telling me about what I need to do better. Uh, so. She's, you know, still there for me, still tough on me, but, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff she said is, is, that she said would happen, it's happened, and, you know, it's all coming to fruition. Coming up, how Amazon's tackling the NFL. We did 11 million average audience, a younger audience, higher income than traditional NFL. We saw this great business opportunity. And why some investors are calling the WNBA a slam dunk. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Streaming competition, surging popularity for women's sports, and key rights deals coming up for grabs. The live sports landscape is rapidly changing, and the big deal makers say they're game for the opportunities ahead. I feel like I would be remiss if I did not start out with ESPN, because on our own air on CNBC, Bob Iger said that he was open to some new potential options for ESPN, including potentially bringing in partners. Bob's been clear about the power of live sports, uh, the power of the ESPN brand, how important ESPN is to the future of the Walt Disney Company. Bob and I have been clear that 
taking our channels, our flagship channels, direct to consumer is when, it's not if. As a part of that, we are interested in partners, partners that we think can make the flagship product more compelling. It's early, um, but we've both been very pleased by what I'll call a healthy level of interest in ESPN. There's no question that bringing some of these sports that have been the glue that holds the TV bundle together direct to consumer is going to change linear television. Correct. And it seems to me like this speculation that you're in talks with some of the leagues about maybe having them come in as outside partners would be kind of helpful, especially as you try to renegotiate those rights to give you the optionality of having that hybrid distribution. Are you talking to the leagues? Can't comment on who we're talking to. Um, I, will, I will emphasize the fact that we believe that there are parties out there uh, that can help us on the content side. You know, my priority is when we do launch flagship channels directly to the consumer a la carte, that the content proposition is as compelling as it can be. Um, I want to go to Arye now, since you are a deal maker and you've thought a lot about what the future of media should look like. What do you think would make sense for ESPN in light of all of these <laughs> new, new digital opportunities? Very few people have done these pivots um, in the public eye. So I, I think whether Reed Hastings did it with Netflix that were DVDs to streaming, or Amazon did it from a books company to Prime, you need to do it with partnerships. And it used to be M&A as the solution, but given regulatory environments that can't be the only solution, partnerships uh, are the new M&A, um, and you have to work together to do it together, whether it's leagues, or private equity, or, um, or rights holders. Otherwise, there's going to be too much pressure. I want to go next to Jay, because the deal that you did with the NFL, um, and now we're going to the second, second year with Thursday Night Football on Amazon, is in many ways the quintessential example, or, or really notable first example of what happens when major sports go direct to consumer on the platform. How did you feel about the first year ratings, and what are your expectations for this year? First of all, we're extremely excited about the first year of um, Thursday Night Football. We did 11 million average audience, a younger audience than traditional NFL, um, higher income than traditional NFL, and now we're looking on to grow on that on season two. And the big thing coming this year is the first ever Black Friday game, obviously the biggest shopping day of the year. So we're putting everything against that this year, and it's going to be a great game. But the fact that ratings were down in your first year from linear TV, is that because the market is just so fragmented? Because people didn't know where to find their their Thursday night games. What yeah. do you attribute that to, and yeah. what will it take to change that? Yeah, again, you know, I think there was a lot of industry proje projections that we'd do five to seven million. 11 million out of the gate, we feel great about. More people are gonna stream next year, all content, not just sports, than the year before. The year after that, more people. You can debate the rate of change, but you can't debate the macro trajectory. So when you see a macro trend like that, you can invest a lot because you know that investment's gonna pay off over the long term. So Jessica, what do you think about all this? From what I understand, you are right now negotiating some rights deals. I don't know how much you could tell us. Feel free to break news here on stage. Um, what do you see as the opportunity in some of these digital platforms versus linear? I think we live in an environment where both things can be true. 
And it's not a binary choice. Fans and consumers live in a lot of different places and expect to have their content delivered to them in multiple vehicles and venues. And the women's sports fan is unique as we think about direct to consumer because women's sports fans have had to work really hard to find their content. And so we feel like we're a perfect property to be able to demonstrate the value of direct to consumer. And we want to think about ways to expand our audience at the top of the funnel. Jessica, how important is it for you to build up more stars like the Megan Rapinos of the world? I mean, I think Megan Rapinoe is a perfect example of someone who really brought people into the sport. The thing about our league, because our players have had to be scrappy and have had to define their own destiny, is that they are storytellers. They are adept at using social media. They know how to use their platform. And it is the Megan Rapinos and Alex Morgans. And it's also the up and coming players. These players have such interesting stories. They are dynamic. They are. Um, they are diverse in their backgrounds, and that is what resonates with the future consumer. Before we open up to questions, I have to ask about the NBA rights, because that's the next big round of rights coming up. What do you think? You want them? <laughs> that partnership is incredibly important to ESPN. It's incredibly important to the Walt Disney Company. One of the things we're focused on is, is production innovation. Like we can't, you're watching an NBA game, it can't feel like it's 1997. Like we have to continue to, to push here and, and, and identify new alternative broadcasts, new camera angles, new ways to present these games digitally within our app. That, that's the priority right now. But yes, we love this relationship and it's important to us. Up next, shifting dynamics on the field. The fight for equal pay. The magnitude, it's a huge deal. And the explosion of lacrosse. When you're running an expensive sports experience, you have to have an incredible product. Plus, Kevin Durant takes center stage. It's on me to go out there and showcase the most natural part of who I am on the floor. As new leagues emerge and current ones expand, the risks of owning a piece of the action are evolving, and so too are the potential rewards. David Blitzer is now the first person to own a franchise in each of the four major sports, the Sixers, the Devils, the Guardians, and the Commanders. He also has a piece of Crystal Palace of the Premier League and Real Salt Lake of Major League Soccer. If any of you have anything for sale today, <laughs> David would like to talk to you. I'll put you together afterwards. So why, why have sports become such a significant part of your investment strategy? We all know that live sports is the best content around. Um, you can't save it. You can't watch it later. And so the value of content is going to continue to grow, uh, in my opinion, you know, above inflation. You've got huge international opportunities. You've got the convergence of what's happening with technology and the actual sport. And that would kind of be point one. And then point two is just scarcity value. Um, they don't make more of these. I'm like a pretty simple supply and demand person. There's only one thing that's going to happen. Value is going to continue to increase. I guess, David, it's, in some respects, you have to win. But you and your group just essentially paid a premium price for what is considered to be a distressed asset. Washington is one of the all-time great franchises. I don't get into top two, top three, but clearly one of the top all-time franchises in the NFL. And we all know what it can be and what it should be and hopefully um, what it will be. You know, Clara, you also have a, a very diverse portfolio as well. The Brooklyn Nets, the Liberty, your investors in, in Paul's uh, PLL. How, how would you describe the opportunity that exists today? There's two. Uh, NBA teams in New York City, but there's only one professional women's basketball team in New York City. So we saw that immediately we saw this great business opportunity because we could showcase the world's best 
female basketball players in the largest media market in the world. So if you look at you know, almost all of the economics from revenues to player salaries, the WNBA is about 1 100th mm. that of the NBA. So um, you know, if the WNBA just grows to 10% of what the NBA is, that's a 10x return on your investment. So um, we think it's just a very sound um, business decision. For a league like lacrosse and the, and the PLL, we also see the growth potential in that I think uh, youth lacrosse is still the fastest growing um, sport for youth participation in the US. It's been that way for several years now. So we know that there's growth there. Um, but in that case, it's also investment in great entrepreneurs. Well, Paul's a great athlete, but he's also a very good businessman. I think he's made a lot of uh, innovations to the product. When I zoom out and think about the enterprise value of sports that everyone in this room discussed is, is it's a live IP business. And that is really exciting and different than what we get with any other entertainment property where at some point someone knows what's going to happen and sports we don't. Underneath it is a media business, a corporate partnership business, a ticketing business, a merchandise business, a youth business. And what we've seen the NFL lead, MLS is doing now, been in the NBA for a while is also real estate businesses. And then there is Lexi. Athletes Unlimited has turned the ownership model on its head because there are no owners. Right. I mean, no offense to these amazing owners next to me, but you know, it's been, you know, life changing playing this freely in a league. You know, you don't have GM to deal with after a game. You know, we don't have any coaches even. We coach ourselves in this league. Uh, it's 44 players, um, you know, it's given us a voice that we haven't had in the past. I used to get in trouble for being on Instagram too much. Like, I, I used to have to log off of all social media by midnight, every night. Um, and now you're seeing the explosion of women athletes on their social medias and them taking control of their brands completely. And I think that's something that we do so well at Athletes Unlimited. David, how do you stand out in a more crowded field? Well, first off, I think there can be multiple winners. Okay, and I'm a very happy and proud investor in both the PLL and in Athletes Unlimited. I think what they're doing and the disruption um, and the engagement and the empowerment, et cetera, I think it's fantastic. I remember as a kid growing up, I imagine most people in this room were huge fans of some sports, some teams. The closest we got was a poster on our wall, right? Or maybe you got to a game, um, but there wasn't interaction. And in today's world, what I think is amazing is the ability to reach the more casual fans across the globe not just across your city or your state or your country. And that level of storytelling and that level of engagement um, is gonna continue to fuel the growth and turn more and more casual fans into you know, deeper fans. Clara, Very how, how, how is Team Psy sort of looking at this? Up until now, I think about 5% of sports media coverage is on women's sports. So, you know, while that ratchets up, I know it's happening. Um, at the same time, we need to find creative ways to tell stories about our players. You know, we're just, we're in that point where we're really discovering our fan base and you really need to be where the fans are. Paul, everybody obviously wants to stand out um, and we're talking about ways that you have to engage better. You also have to have the budget to do it. Yeah. Your marketing budget is not the same yeah. as David's or Clara is in some of their major sports. How do you, how do you contend? I think in sports, much like entertainment, we have to roll the red carpet out to build FOMO such that people are gonna to wanna to pay for a ticket, pay for parking, pay for concessions. So when you're running an expensive sports experience, you have to have an incredible product. So you have to be fan obsessed and then you have to be player and product obsessed. In 2019, when we started, there was 15 million lacrosse fans in the US and MRI Simmons just released this year that there are now 46 million. David, it is undoubtedly getting harder to own 
one of the big four teams, is representative of what you guys just paid for Washington, $6 billion when the Broncos 11 months ago sold for 4.6. Do we, is it sustainable the way valuations are going? Steve Ballmer paid two-ish billion dollars for the Los Angeles Clippers and people said, oh my God, the last team that traded was, I don't know, 650, something to that effect. You know, at the end of the day, I come back to, they're not making any more of them and they, they are growing. They're not just growing at, on their existing fan base, they're creating new fans, they're creating new revenue streams. You know, the international markets, you know, from an NFL perspective, there is so much growth to go there. And by the way, the NFL is one of the best business models I've ever seen in my life, just pure business models. One of the amazing things about sports is also how non-correlated they are to other asset classes. And of course, the rate of growth has increased over the last decade. There's no question about that. Value is in the eye of the beholder. And Paul, your quote unquote end game is to what? To continue to grow your revenues, put a multiple on top of that, and then sell your league? So if we think about what our exit opportunities are, right now, because we're a single entity, we're, we're a team sports league that kind of functions like F1, um, like the UFC, like the WWE. There's a world where we maintain that and continue to grow because I want to get wages up for players and see the benefit of that downstream. But there's also a world where we go find investor operators and maintain our, our single entity status. That's how the MLS is structured, NWSL. The league picks up player wages, pass it through to the teams. There's the purchase price, and then the investor operators keep their, the, the delta on any type of exit. Coming up, how the NBA is doubling down off the court. So we have players that are fathers, that are entrepreneurs, that are doing amazing things in this world. Plus, 13-time WNBA All-Star Kevin Durant nets the deal of a lifetime with Nike. The beauty of it is that you really can create from ground zero. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. executive leadership in sports is beginning to look a lot more like athletes and fans as the old boys club gives way to a new generation of women and people of color who are driving innovation and profitability. Ashlyn, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Gotham FC um, in this relatively new role mm -hmm. um, and how you see your roles helping players find their voice. Yes, yeah, so my job is to help tell the stories of these incredible women who are a part of the queer community, who are potentially single moms. There's just so much there. There's so much missing due to lack of investment and production and telling a lot of these women's stories and actually telling them right. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to transcend sport. I'm trying to make women's soccer cool for everyone, uh, a, a safe space where everyone can feel a part of it. And um, yeah, women's sports right now, it's really the, the moment. And I wanna keep writing that and keep talking about it and keep getting people um, jazzed about the possibilities that all of us knew existed, but we had to bang through a million doors, doors to get people to actually pay attention. Jessica, how do you think about your clients having a presence 
off the court? Is it about investments? Is it about creating their own, their own fashion line? Where's the opportunity? Really, it's leaning into who they are and what they're interested in, right? I think over time, we've seen a change of where it's, okay, I need to be in that Gatorade commercial. I need to have that Nike deal and I need to do these things and that's gonna be who I am. And, and now with my clients, what's especially fun is, what are you passionate about? What, do, what interests you? Do you wanna do more investments? You make a lot of money on the court. Do you wanna focus more on building businesses? Do you wanna start a perfume line? Okay, that's something that you're passionate about. It's not gonna work unless you're passionate. And I think looking at things long-term because these things are forever, right? And it's not just transactional. Tamika, tell us a little bit about your perspective. You know, you represent the collective. What is it that that group wants right now and needs right now from you as their advocate? When I first started, I really started saying, we have to look at the whole person. So what's your Ann? And let's focus on the Amperson as opposed to just the basketball. So we have players that are fathers that are entrepreneurs, that are doing amazing things in this world, giving back to their communities. For me, it's important that everybody knows the full story. And Linda, looking at your, your long career with the Colorado Rockies, how do you think about the importance of these players having big identities outside of their, of their sports identity? The focus is not to control, but it's also to assist to make sure that if they're moving through these partnerships or sponsorships, that they think about it, but a lot of them are doing it is to raise money for community organizations, to align themselves with making a difference, not just in the bank or on the field. But there are also these moments where athletes take stands that are on social issues, cultural issues, and political issues, and that can drop blowback. How do you, Jessica, advise your clients on these things? It's really important to be very well educated and informed, and that's part of what our responsibility, I think, all of us on the stage yes. is to do. And so if it's something they're passionate about and you understand the cost-benefit analysis of it, you know, I'm, I'm always gonna err on the side of supporting my client and what they wanna, what messages they wanna get out there as long as it's not harmful. Tamika, how do you talk to, to your collective about this and the sort of the cost-benefit analysis of taking a political stand? Obviously, I have the privilege of working for such amazing men, and they have incredible platforms. So to some extent, they do feel like it's their duty to say something. And so we absolutely want them to use their platform for good, and they actually enjoy doing that. Ashlyn, do you think this next generation is gonna be as eager to take on the big challenges of the likes of equal pay? I do, I do. I, I think the magnitude and how far it pushes us, not only in women's sports, but women in the workplace in general, it's a huge deal. And we have to keep doing this and showing and giving space for these younger players to educate them and have them have a voice as well in these really important decisions because it impacts them for a really long time. Up next, one-on-one -on -one with the one and only Kevin Durant. How many burner accounts do you have? Uh, no, uh, one, probably, yeah, I got one. One? <laughs> on, on Twitter or Threads or which one? Phoenix Suns power forward Kevin Durant is on fire three Olympic gold medals, two NBA championship rings. The 13-time All-Star recently inking a lifetime mega contract with Nike worth millions. The 2014 MVP also a driving force off the court with investments in dozens of companies plus a fast-growing media network. And KD says he's just getting started. I want to get your reaction to this. Um, this is from the New York Times two years ago. 
If any player has ever looked more natural or graceful on a basketball court, I have never seen him. Durant's keynote is ease. Just look at him right now. <laughs> he moves with a pure, unforced economy of motion, a frictionless glide that makes him look almost indifferent to the action around him. And I thought about that sentence, and I thought to myself, that doesn't just describe Kevin Durant on the court, that describes Kevin Durant off the court. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, that's his job is to you know, fabricate, to, <laughs> to glamorize some stuff, but what I do is not that, I don't look at it that way. You don't look at it that no, way? How do you look at it? You don't think it's easy? Because it, it, didn't, it didn't feel that easy as I was you know, crafting and getting up to this point. You know, it, it didn't feel like it just came natural. A lot of people was like, yo, you were born to be a basketball player. I was like, how do you know what I was born with? You know what I'm saying? I felt like we had to acquire. I had to acquire this through hard work and obviously dedication to what I do. But it, was, it, it, it doesn't feel that way, to be honest. So I went back uh, May 6, 2014, MVP speech. You made me cry on that day and you made me cry again this morning as I watched it. Oh, you watched it. it again? I watched it again. And you talked about your mother and you talked about wanting to be a rec league coach. That's what you thought your career was gonna be. You know, a lot of athletes think that they're supposed to win on the court, they're supposed to do stuff, but you said it differently. You said it's a platform for me to inspire people. Do you remember saying that? Yeah, for sure. What, what did you mean? I know I'm, I'm on a huge platform, which is the NBA, and if you want to spend your time watching us uh, amongst all the other stuff that you got going on in your life, uh, I feel like it's on me to go out there and showcase the most natural uh, you know, part of who I am on the floor. But, but speak to this. Something happened. At some point, you decided to become an investor. You decided, I would argue, to at some point even slim down some of the endorsement deals so you were focused yeah. in, in a way. Yeah. When did that happen? And a lot of that stuff was time consuming, you know, six hour shoots and flying different places. My summer was filled with obligations from partners. And I just asked Rich one day, like, do I have to do all this shit? Like, <laughs> and, and he was just like, no, but it was just that simple. Um, we were talking um, in this last panel about social media and about yeah. media. Uh, I, I, I joked, but not really. Uh, that you run NBA Twitter. I do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, do you like doing that? Yeah, I do. I feel like, uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, I do. Uh, but it's a, it's a, I like engaging with the fans. When I'm out, when I'm playing, when I'm working out before a game, I mean, you know, it's fans that's watching this play. I always enjoyed that part of it. And I feel like this is another unique way to engage with fans. Like, come on now, you get an opportunity to, tweet at your favorite players, and like they might respond back to you, you get to get an inside look at who they are, get to tap into what they thinking, like, I would have loved that as Does a Does it ever fan. get to you though? No, no, at first. The I was, hate can be real. Yeah, but when I turned my phone off or deleted the app, I was still thinking about what they may say. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like, let me just dive right in and just say like, just like, let me, whatever you got to say about me, let me hear everything you got, this, every joke you got to say about me. Uh, you know, criticize my game. Like, it, it, I just felt like I've become more at peace with being an NBA player once I just dove into the, 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 the criticism or the negativity, which is social media. And uh, I've learned how to manage it. Do you like Elon's Twitter or the, or the former Twitter? Uh, I like all of it. 
I like no different for you? It's no different, I don't feel like. It's, we're all connected with one another, and I think that's the... That's but you're the, on threads right. now, too, I heard. I'm on everything, bro. <laughs> Instagram, you, threads. Do you like threads? It's cool. It's cool. It's, a, it's, a, it's another way to, to get the thoughts off. It's always, uh, it's always good to see what people are thinking. How many burner accounts do you have? Uh, no, uh, one, probably. Yeah, I got one. One? <laughs> on, on Twitter or threads, or which one? Uh, yeah, on both. Is it findable? On both. All three, actually. No, it's not findable. It's, it's, not, it's hard not like to, um, it's hard to switch. Right? I think when people oh, look yeah. at burner accounts, they look at me as I'm going on just being a just a, a demon-like troll. <laughs> but I'm really just I got so many followers on Instagram that it's just hard to really talk to the people that I really want to talk to. You so know? You got, oh, it's for that. It's, this isn't to 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 go on <laughs> pretend nah. you're somebody else. Nah. Okay. Nah. I'm actually you know I'm actually me on these pages, but right. it's just not. It's, it's a small group. You did a lifetime deal with Nike. Yeah. When you did this deal, this lifetime deal, how, how involved were you, how involved are you in the creation of the shoe, thinking about the shoe, thinking about what the shoe's gonna look like in the future and whether it's gonna work in this new world? We were 16, I mean, it's getting so, I got so many now, I'm starting to forget, but we have 16 or 17 shoes now, so. You've done probably $2 billion worth of sales. We're doing some math yeah. before we sat yeah. down here. That sounds good. <laughs> but from the from the now the beauty of it now is like having a lifetime deal is that you really can create from the from ground zero. So it's a lot of potential there with my shoes, it's, you know, because I've been around so long. So I want to keep building that. That's a part of the legacy that people talk about. So what's that going to be? If we were sitting here ten years from now, twenty years from now, what do you see that brand being in connection with Nike? I just hope people wear my shoes. I hope just like now, you still may pick a Jordan out or 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 a Penny Hardaway out. I want to be on that. I just want to be considered when you walk in the Foot Locker in 20 years. You know. Um, we had a number of owners uh, on this on this stage today, mm -hmm. and you have said that you would one day love to be an owner of an NBA team. I feel like everybody in here says that. <laughs> What do you think you have to do to make that happen? You gotta have a lot of capital for one. Um, <laughs> but having good people, and that's really been a common denominator from just talking. Is there a specific team in a perfect world? No, it's not, no, nah, I wouldn't say, no. Nah. Bring and a I, team back to Seattle, maybe? Yeah, that would be cool, for sure. I mean, in a perfect world, but you know, they deserve to have a team there again. Um, and, I would, I, and I would love to be a part of NBA in that, in that fashion, but uh, we'll see. Okay, so I got, I got, I don't know if it's a tough question, maybe it's an easy question. You seem very relaxed right now. And I don't know if anybody who watched- uh, Am I too relaxed? Excuse me? You seem very relaxed. Okay, good. No, in a good way. Okay. But I'm saying this because on, uh, you did a, an interview with David Letterman. Yeah. And you were very cool. relaxed. I feel like I'm, I, I'm, the, I'm always relaxed. Well, but you, had, you had said you were, you, was, like you were even more relaxed than normal. Uh, because you, 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 you were high at the time. Yeah. And, <laughs> And so, uh, how you doing right now? I mean, yeah, I'm pretty good. Good, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just us, or is it? It's always just us. Okay. Um, well, no, the reason I'm asking is because it was very, it was, I think it, you also, by the way, it invested in a number of cannabis companies. Yeah. And I'm so curious about your decision to be public about that, and what the did the I assume does Adam Silver call you up and say? No, hey, hey, I actually called him and tell, and 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 advocated for him to take marijuana off the banned substance list. The stigma behind it wasn't as 
negative as it was before. Uh, you know, it doesn't affect you in any negative way. And what did Adam tell you when you said this to him? He agreed. And you see where, where well, we are now. Well, now, now they've actually told players you can, you can yeah. invest and you yeah. can, you yeah, can yeah, smoke so. and everything else, I think. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah, you can. Yeah, definitely. Marijuana is. But you were a pioneer, if you will. I wouldn't call myself a pioneer. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but a, pine, a public pioneer. How about that? I wouldn't say that either. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I just enjoy the plant. I mean, as simple as that. And um, so, what did you what did you tell Adam? How did you how did you persuade him? Well, he smelled it when he worked, when he walked in when I walked in. So <laughs> I didn't really have to say much. You know what I'm saying? He kind of understood where this was going. And then I mean, <laughs> it's, it's the NBA, man. Everybody is like, uh, I hate to be. Everybody does it, to be honest. It's like wine at this point. Ladies and gentlemen, we're out of time, but I just want to thank KD uh, for a tremendous conversation. We've just seen how business is increasingly converging with sports, media, entertainment, and all of our culture, creating opportunities and, yes, challenges. For all of my colleagues at CNBC and Boardroom, thanks for watching. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.